been a while, periodically reminding you that no matter whether people leave the Florida Panthers, whether they come or go, our bits will never die. Long live Yari Kekalainen. Yeah, I mean, between other than Sonny Milano being a friend of the show because we sat next to his family when he got drafted. Uh, <laughs> those are our two bits. Those yeah, are those, two bits. Oh, or been, actually, I, I take that back. There's a third bit, which is when the Panthers make the Stanley Cup final, they're going to have a performance from Pitbull, who's actually just Steve Goldstein in a nicer suit with some five o'clock shadow. That's the third bit, but that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, possibly the only three I find funny. But <laughs> Listen, when you're doing podcasts, sometimes the bits don't work, and we have to keep trying, right? we got to get better every day, and that means sometimes yeah. we're going to try out bits that aren't very funny. And I fully admit then not all of my jokes are very good. But we have to keep going. And if you remember what the podcast used to be like when we were yelling at Dale Talon a lot, the bits kept us going, quite literally. And now that's not entirely the case. But anyway, long live Yari Kekalainen. I hope he does yeah. well with the Jets. In case people are wondering, that is pretty much a bit. And to the friend of the podcast, an actual friend of the podcast, Jeff Merrick, he was wondering, like, you're a little broken up by this, aren't you? And I'm like, no, it's kind of just a bit for our podcast. Well, I mean, it, I, I mean, the bit, for me, that's hiding how... Actually, I am kind of upset about this. I mean, to put it the most simply and most succinctly is because of this scout, Yari Kekalainen, Barkov is somebody you got to watch over the last like eight, nine years, and you get eight more years starting yes. this year. Well, yes, so. he is single-handedly and, responsible for quite a few very good Florida Panthers that are on the team that right now. That is, if, you, if you're going to look up, up and down the Florida Panthers' history... They had the one cup run, they had Pavel Burry, and they had Barkov. You could say Luongo, but I mean, as fun I mean, as I mean, let's, let's, let's be fair to Bill Torrey. Not, Bill Torrey, too, the late Bill Torrey. He, he yeah. played a big role in this franchise as well. But, but unfortunately, it wasn't something that was on the on ice. Like, it wasn't them, you know, uh, Burry was showing up on the ice. You know, like the on ice product is what I'm yeah, talking Okay, about. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, who of the on-ice product is solely... Like, Barkov, to me, because Burry wasn't here that long, is going to be the biggest impact and be the Florida Pan Pan Panthers franchise. So, to me, the person who made that happen, instead of looking at Seth Jones right now or Jonathan Druin or whoever we would have traded for them, um, you know, as the face of the franchise or, you know, you know I mean... Just what it allowed, I mean, without Barkov, do we have Lundell? Like, is Lundell, you know, like, there's just so many things. Oh, yeah. The alternate that. history of the Panthers without Barkov is not what I want to think about. Yeah. I and also it, have to credit the Panthers' Yager. previous ownership of uh, Cliff Viner and his partner, who, you know, were so broke at that time as the Panthers were being sold that the story goes, it may be apocryphal, but the story goes that apparently Dale Talon had no money to sign free agents, so he had to draft someone who would play right away because that's the only way he could improve the 2013-14 team, and that was Barkov, because he knew he was yeah. going to play. So that possibly apocryphal story is one that I remember hearing, and it quite possibly is true, and so the Panthers being broke also may have caused that. Yeah. Uh, I do want to say, we don't know well, why he left. There's a lot of possible reasons for it. I, I, think it's I, have, a, I have a lot more to say about this. I mean, because, I mean, thinking about this, I mean, Yuho Lamico, I mean, in that smile, I mean, the... Yes. You can draw a lot of tangents of, of, of lines. I mean, why did they get, why did they ask for E2 Luostrain and back in that trade that was almost an afterthought and now look at him. 
you know, short in between the legs. The first game. Yeah. That's great to see. Yeah, I mean, like, there a lot of the finish, like, menta- like all of this is is because of, I think, Kekalina, you can draw a straight line back to Kekalina in the seven degrees of ke- separation with, Kev- with Kekalina. Six degrees of Yari Kekalina, wow. Yeah. This, this I mean, bit's like, taken on a life of its own. But, I mean, it... I, I want to know what happened. I And I'm, I'm, this is why I always get, like, I know everyone loves George Richards. I know everyone loves Colby Guy. I know, you know, they're the people who do write and are committed to this team and put everything into it. They do deserve respect. However, why aren't they asking these questions? Like, what, hey, what happened? Why, like, this is somebody who was here for over 20 years and, you can argue has made besides Bill Tory has been the best front office member of this entire franchise's existence, and there's nothing on his leaving. Nothing. I don't think, I don't think that shows the respect that he's owed. And I would just like to know, hey, what happened? I'm not saying we have to. You have to do like a really challenging follow up, but I would like to say, hey, uh, we saw, you know, you know, Kekaline, you know. Yari Kekalainen left the organization, and we just wanted you to speak on his contribution and and and, and why uh, things have changed. I have asked That's some all. people I know to help us out with that, and when we have an answer, I'll let you know. I'll tweet about it. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, my rare time news breaking. It's not my thing, but I can. Yeah, I can. I, I appreciate it because I think it's worth it. Because I mean, we would. If if all of a sudden like Zito went up and left, I mean we'd be like, hey, what's what's going on? This guy's been really good yeah, for us. Some questions. Uh, you know? Anyway, so that's the Ari Kekalainen talk. We have a lot more uh, Panthers talk to come on this show. There's, I mean, today we are recording this right after the Spencer Knight contract was signed. We're going to spend some time talking about that. Talk about the season. I'm really wanting to explore the Paul Maurice debate that I'm seeing a lot on Twitter. That's something that I think we need to talk about. We also are going to get to the Flyers later and the fact that they may now just maybe now they'll admit it's time to completely tank, but we'll get to that. Also, players retiring, a whole bunch of other news I want to get to. But I want to start by saying, of course, this is the first Why Hockey podcast of the new season. We're really excited. I'm in a very good mood when it comes to just sports in general right now. I'm really enjoying the world of sports may change in short order because this next weekend for me is going to be extremely stressful. And then the Panther season will start. But as we go into this season, it's not that I'm not optimistic because I'm, I'm optimistic and I'm excited to talk about it. It's just a very interesting time to talk about a team that made so many changes after what was a historically great regular season. And as we've started to see the preseason begin, camp begin, the first two games in the split squad, I want to just ask you first, where do you, we've talked throughout the summer about where we think this team might be headed and what we expect of this team this year. I want to start by asking you, just in general, how do you feel about the 2022-23 Panthers as we sit in the uh, early days of preseason? It's a lot of unknowns. It's a lot of question marks. It's a lot of, you know, back, going back to the idea of waiting the first 20 games to see what this team is capable of and, and what how they're going to gel and and then kind of giving okay, this is what I hope they achieve. This is what I think this team is capable of achieving. Uh, you know, it's hard to really understand what are they capable of achieving. Of course, 
you know, we want them to make the playoffs. We want them to win a round in the playoffs. But this is a team that went from they are aiming at winning the Stanley Cup. That's the one and only goal. And everything is, you know, how do, how do we win the Stanley Cup this season? That's no longer the case. Obviously, it's still, you know, it top lines to win a cup. But this year, I don't think the goal that they're keying in and focusing on is winning the cup. I think it's much more, um, I don't want to say smaller, but it's much more uh, how do we get this group to play playoff hockey and win series playing playoff hockey, win regular season matchups playing playoff hockey? How do we get the most out of this squad? And, and maybe that is winning a cup this year. Maybe that's just winning a couple rounds this year. I think that's a much different mentality and, and sentiment around the team. And when Zito said in, you know, after the season, hey, we're, you know, we're going to look over things and then see what we want to do. They looked over things and they said, you know, we're not going to have a lot of changes. And then they, the draft happens. They trade Huberto and they have a seismic shift on the direction of the team. And now it kind of resets expectations. Mm -hmm. and, and to me, I wanted to say just where I sit right now, and we're going to explore this as we go along. You and I both kind of settled on where we think this team's going to finish. And we ended up finishing with this discussion saying third place, but it might be rocky at the start of the season. I mean, third place in the Atlantic division, I mean. That means they're probably still safely a playoff team. I'm not sure this team is capable of winning series as presently constructed or multiple series. And that does not mean that they're a bad team. I don't think at where we sit, this team's missing the playoffs. But it's not the same team as last year. Last year, I think, was a year that you can't compare this or any other season to. Last year was a special Haley's Comet kind of season, even with all that happened in October. They had an incredibly special team, an incredibly special combination and mix of players that led to a regular season that I'm not sure many teams can ever top. It's one of the top 10 best regular seasons of the last like 30, 40 years. You're not going to repeat that no matter what. And I think that Bill Zito and his front office kind of knew that. So they figured, let's try to do something a little bit more sustainable also, but translatable to the playoffs. And I think that's something that we see a lot of good teams go through, right? And it comes back to something that I've been thinking about in the past, which is how not necessarily the best regular season team you have is going to be the team that wins in the playoffs or the best overall team you have is going to win in the playoffs and win the Stanley Cup in that you know, that, that period of growth and dominance that a team has. Because the best regular season Lightning teams did not win Stanley Cups. We know that. The best Penguins teams, the best Capitals teams didn't win Stanley Cups. You know, the best Blues team didn't win a Stanley Cup either. So I think that that also is going to come in if the Panthers go on and win the Cup one day, which we hope they will. I don't think any regular season Panthers team or overall roster will be better than the one last year. And that one didn't win the Cup. But that doesn't mean that this team's window is over. And even if they take a step back, and we talked about this when we did the show on Matthew Kachuk, they're thinking in a long term, let's extend our window a little longer by giving the money to a younger player who can sync up more with the guys that we have, like Bennett and Reinhardt, and they all fit in that similar sort of age range. He's spending on age curves, essentially. And I don't think it's a bad bet, but it is a gamble. And gambles do have downsides, as the Panthers have figured out when they made those trade deadline trades. 
So I think that's where I stand, and I think I, largely that's where you stand too. Yeah, but I do want to push back uh, on, a, on a few things. Um, and, and the first being a lot of what you, you know, I don't, I don't disagree with the overall point of what you said or the goal of trying to play more sustainable hockey, more playoff-styled hockey as a good goal and, and a good thing for Zito to kind of reset after this year. What I don't like is how, why it took him so long. If, if me, somebody who didn't, you know, doesn't have the acumen or experience Zito has or a lot of people in that front office, was saying immediately after Quinville got fired that they needed to level up across the season. They needed to start showing they could play playoff hockey. They needed to change the way they practiced. They needed to do more competitive drills, especially 10 feet in the boards. These are all things Maurice is now saying, right? And, and, and now all of a sudden they've had to come to come to Barkov moment and realize that, um, you know, they needed to do this and everyone's acting like, Oh yeah, it's not an issue that it took them till the off season to learn that. Um, so, I mean, it, it starts to at venturing questions and if, and if, you know, it's going to take Zito that long and that and that uh, dire of consequences to kind of learn his lesson. What other questions does that bring about him as a general manager? Again, not saying that he's doing a, a bad job or things he's doing are mistakes, but I think we're now in the part of Zito's tenure where we have to start critique and we have to start making sure that his actions and words are aligning they make sense for the team. They make sense to the goal they're, tr they're publicly trying to work towards. And just, you know, how is it all shaking out? Can I, and I think can I interrupt for one second? And I don't know if this is a good point to bring up, but it's something I'm going to bring up. And uh, I know you're not the biggest fan of NHL Network Radio. I like some of the stuff they do. And I was listening to... Well, I like to Bill, Bill Lindsay, and he's on there a lot. So Okay, yes. Well, we love Bill Lindsay. I mean, Bill Lindsay can be anywhere. I could listen to him talk about hockey all day, as you heard him guest on this show previously. <laughs> The NHL Network Radio Panthers preview with uh, Boomer, Gordon, and Jake Hahn, and I was listening to some of it, and I'm not sure you're going to like what you hear, but I'm going to bring this news to you anyway. They agreed with you on the coaching thing last year. They were wondering why they didn't bring in a veteran coach earlier, and like I'm Bruce, still Bruce on, the, you know, I'm on the fence about that, and it's, it's a tough call. Overall thinking, you have such a good regular season team, why don't F with happy, which is fine. And then they get to the playoffs, and as we start to talk about Andrew Burnett vis-a-vis -vis Paul Maurice, and I'm going to explore that in a little bit, the playoffs are really what I think was the dramatic wake-up call. Now, I thought, you know, if you're coming That's back from four goal deficits in the second period multiple times against bad teams in April, that might also be slightly concerning, but hey, it was fun. So That's a problem to me, because that means that it took him, it took Zito until the playoffs to realize that you did need to change the way you played. That he, he literally spent the whole year thinking, no, no, I know better. No, no, I know better. And, and it speaks to something, you know, there's a lot of talk about Zito's swagger, but I want to talk about something else, Zito's fear. Because I think that there is an inherent fear in some of his actions and what he's doing. Fear of changing things. He thought that bringing in a Paul Maurice coach last year in the middle of the season would change would the risk of doing it was too much 
But when it's a Huberto Uyghur for Kachuk shade, there's no fear. There's a lot of swagger. There's a lot of, you know, that, which is good. But then when you talk about why is he resetting, like you brought up the point, and it was my second point I wanted to get to in responding to uh, your first thing was, you know, Zito reset everything. He said, well, given, given that we broke historical records offensively, we had all these comeback wins, it's unlikely for us to have the year we did last year. So let's just change course. To me, that is a little bit of fear. That's a little bit of fear of I don't want to have to fail. I don't want to have to say I didn't do as good as last year, so I'm going to move the goalpost, change the conversation, so I'm not measured up to last year. That I mean, some of it might be that. And I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing, but I think that, you know, why – why is he afraid or why doesn't he think that they can compete and push for this year? But he can't have it both ways. He can't have it both ways. If he's publicly saying that the reason they did the trade was to reset the window, extend the window, and he's having Maurice come out saying they're going to get less wins in the regular season, they might take a step back to move a step forward in the future. That's all very intentional. And we have to start looking at intent and purpose. I think last year they did, and my third point I wanted to get to was, I think last year the reason it was so magical and so good was because that the intent was there. The intent was to win a cup this year. And I think that it, that gave so much energy and juice to the guys in the room that this wasn't this wasn't just, uh, you know, this wasn't just a, a in between year and the the, the real years they'll remember. You know, they were making memories. This is a year they were going to look back on in their career. That gives so much more energy. That, that carries over and translates into the product on the ice. When you dial that back, and this year is just about, you know, hey, let's, let's see where we are and all that stuff, that lack of energy might also, that lack of that extra magic, excuse me, that extra spark, you know, might translate into the on-ice product. Or it it might be a reason why they can't achieve as much. Cause I think intent and purpose matters. You and, are, you are completely right. I, I do want to so, say there are a couple of things about this that are worth exploring to me. I think some of last year, I don't want to say it was a fluke cause it wasn't that team was constructed right. brilliantly. It played great hockey. There was, they always got bounces. They, they always got a lot got... of bounces. They did win a lot of overtime games and I didn't want to believe that, you know, the fact that they were an amazing three-on-three team and they won two overtime games in the playoffs when that never used to happen was not something that suggested there was a bit of a soft center to this team or that it was a little bit of a mirage. Because, let's be fair, the numbers showed that this team was extremely good regardless. Every number you looked at, they were incredible. Like, even if they weren't winning games. But, but that it also wasn't, shows... It's not that, that it was I, a mirage. I, it's not that, that it was a mirage. It just shows that they didn't put in the work across the year to translate it into, into the playoffs. I mean, I'm not... Like, they, like, what Zito's doing is saying, we didn't try anything to make this really effective way we were playing at hockey. We, didn't, we spent all year not trying anything to make it translate to the playoffs. It didn't work, so now we're really abruptly changing course. And I think, you know, that's almost Talon-esque or almost Viola-esque in decision-making. And, uh, you know, I don't necessarily know if that was the right 
approach. Now, there's a lot of things that, you know, have been done in the larger general movement, I think, has been in the right enough direction that the talent on this team can, will, and that will make the difference. And this will be a good positive year for the team. But I also think that they left a lot on the table and they could have done more to be more competitive now without risking anything. I think that when I look at back at last season, compare it to this, I think a lot of what happened, and you don't want to call this, as I wrote about when they hired Paul Maurice, overreacting, because that's what this franchise has often done. 2016, we don't need to rehash it. To me, there, I still think there was a little overreaction to the playoffs, and you can tell by some of the ways that they have acted this offseason that there is a little bit of, like, sting from what happened not just against Tampa but Washington too let's be honest if that was Pittsburgh they were playing in the first round they probably would have lost they did not play well enough in that series they just happened to play a less talented team and talent won out in the end and the playoff series was awesome that they won one but the flaws of last year's team showed when they played against the Lavi Lock and all of that we we went through that in the playoffs to me I mean you as you said like it was getting a little bit obvious during the regular season that that was going to possibly happen, and then it was laid bare in the playoffs. And I think Bill Zito recognized, and everybody recognized, that that wasn't going to win because it just it didn't. So then why didn't they do anything? So, so you know, like there's, there's overreacting, then there's late reacting. Why can't they just act? Why, why didn't they, like... Brunette's played over a thousand games. He's played tons of playoffs. Why didn't, why, how come nobody brought up that they should be optimizing throughout the regular season? Because the fact that they didn't do that, that that framed their whole coaching search so that the entire coaching search came, how can we have somebody do what we can't do, which was make adjustments in season? Or, you know, not be, like, we have to hire somebody that, knows knows that like you have to evolve the way you practice throughout a year knows that you have to evolve your expectations your systems and stuff to the time of the year and your opponent what why like that that framed the whole thing instead of going out and getting the highest coaching talent you could and then giving them the support around them for all that stuff you go out and you get somebody who's just mainly, you know, ex- that a communicator, that experienced guy, that all that stuff. And he, but if you look at his wins and loss and you look at his critiques over the year, it's he might not have that that coaching talent to bring out more from a team than is needed. So if you know, like, I, I don't know, like, I think that there's a lot that hasn't been said to the cascading effects of of Zito's decision-making process, which is delayed and overreactive, similar to other tenures that always constantly get trashed. Mm -hmm. And and, And obviously there is a big difference. Zito isn't always that person, but he's showing tendencies to follow, fall into these traps of fear of, um, you know, delayed inaction. And, and hopefully we don't see that this year because this is a huge year for it. And 
after the the you know we'll talk about the preseason games, but I think this is a good time to 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 switch into the Spencer Knight contract. I wanted to get before we get to that. I want to talk about just Paul Maurice in general, and because if you go on Twitter, if you search Paul Maurice's name, I encourage you not to do that because you will get very mad if you do. There is an assumption that he is the worst coach in the history of hockey. In baked into so many people's expectations, this is not coming from the Panthers sphere. This is coming from people outside of it. And these are otherwise people who I really do trust in terms of their hockey analysis. And I've considered them very smart, and I still do. But I don't understand why Paul Maurice is considered this extremely terrible coach. Now, he is not a coach that I wanted the Panthers to hire. I made that clear when we talked about it the first time. And he is not one of the best head coaches in the league. Not even close. But there are factors as to why Paul Maurice failed in Winnipeg that are not present in Florida. And we went over some of those as well. And I encourage you, even though it was a few months ago, to go back and listen to the show we did with Moret Atez, who covered the Jets and provided as good an opinion as I think as anybody can provide on why the Jets were a struggle and why the Jets failed in the end. And Paul Maurice plays a role in why that happened. There is absolutely no absolving him of that. But there are factors in play that are specific to Winnipeg that are not going to happen in Florida. And, of course, obviously there's the other important piece of information, which is this Panthers team is more talented than any team you had with the Jets. Maybe aside from the team that made the conference final, but even then that was pushing it. So, but they didn't have the top end talent that Florida. No, has. no, 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 no. Even and, if and, even and, if you could say the overall team value was roughly the same. I mean, same. you could say that he had a better goalie with Hellebuck, and that's fine. You could say that he had some different kind of talent on the blue line with Dustin Bufflin. I get that, but his captain's going to back check but, for a but start. But Barkov, Barkov, and Ekblad is talent. And Matthew Kachuk too. Let's be honest. Matthew Kachuk is an extremely talented player. And yeah, the, but I would I would say I mean he has coach Kyle Connor, so he has kind of gotten. Oh, close. He, he's definitely but, I mean, found a way type. to get a lot but out of really good I, players. I but, mean, I agree with you. Uh, to me, I think Paul Maurice is a great example of a good average coach. As in, he's good at. He's good at communicating. He's good. He's good in interviews. He's going to be a good face for a franchise. He has a lot of experience. Um, but the reason I think he has so many detractors is the worst coaches are out of the league so quick and are so easily forgotten. The coaches in the middle that stay around long have a lot of detractors built up that, you know, hey, I mean – who, what Florida fan is ever going to let Tom Rowe go as a head coach? None nope. of them. So, I mean, if Tom Rowe coached for 20 years in six different franchises, imagine the amount of people on Twitter that would lambast him all the time. And, I mean, th- it, it just wouldn't happen because he's not good enough as a coach. Maurice is good enough as a coach to continue to coach in the NHL, but he's not so good that he's not going to have he, – I mean, he's going to usually split a fan base – down in half by the end of his tenure because he's just that kind of coach. And I also think that in Winnipeg, he stayed on too long, and that Jets team is known to be a little too loyal, and Paul Maurice may have also been a little too loyal to them. Which is another thing of, you know, he's good enough to not get outright fired some years when he probably should be. You know what I mean? Because he's a nice guy, he has all this experience, um, and he's not, he's a good communicator, and he's not, actively hurting your team he's just not actively getting more out of the team and a new voice would help 
But if he was worse, it, it'd be a lot easier to fire him quicker. So I think that that kind of plays a big po- a point into it. And, and, I, and I think that when we talk about Paul Maurice, we have to see it on the ice with this team, and we have not seen yeah. it in any meaningful way yet to make any comments. But the idea to me that Paul Maurice could single-handedly sink this team, this still extremely talented team, even though it's made a bunch of changes, I have to see the evidence of that before I would well, argue that it could happen. Like, of course, I mean, there are lots of things it, that could happen. <laughs> but not on paper. Not, not on, on no, 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 not on paper, yeah. not yet. And the yeah. idea that some of these, like the idea that the Panthers are somehow now worse than, say, Ottawa and Detroit because Paul Maurice is the head coach is yeah. silly. It, and, and, and I don't, and I try my best to not get involved in these discussions because they, they're circular firing squads. And I encourage everyone, if you're listening to this as a Panthers fan, don't do this either because you're not going to win. People's opinions are baked in and you're not going to persuade anybody. Yeah. To me, Circular firing squads was the uh, backup name for a periodical podcast. But <laughs> well, in the past, it definitely made sense because I mean the Panthers at that time were definitely a circular firing squad. But that's to me. I have to see what Paul Maurice does when yeah. the full team is playing in regular season action. Are they adding the details he's saying he's going to add? These are important questions to me that need to be asked. And we need to see evidence of it first. And I haven't seen any evidence of it now. So until we see that. I cannot subscribe to the theory that Paul Maurice is going to single-handedly sink this team. I don't think he's a bad enough coach to do that. I don't know if he's a good enough coach to elevate this team in the way that you would want your coach to elevate like Jared Bednar, like John Cooper, like Mike Sullivan, like LaViolette, things like that. We don't know if that's the truth. We don't know what that is because we've never really seen it with Paul Maurice because Winnipeg is a, a very unique situation, and we're still seeing it now with the Jets. And maybe Paul Maurice should have done more in dealing with that dressing room that he just simply was not capable of doing or couldn't do because of contracts, because of egos of other situations. I don't know. Right. There's a lot but, we don't know about that Winnipeg situation from the outside. But to me, if we do not take into account that the Winnipeg Jets are a particular breed of dysfunctional that Paul Maurice played a role in, but is still going on right now, even well after he's gone, then we are missing something in, anal- in analyzing him as a coach and what that means to Florida. This dressing room in Florida, even from the outside, we know it's really quite different because, A, his captain's going to back check, and, B, you know, when you're dealing with a room in Florida as, composed, as opposed to Winnipeg, we talked about this before, there's no offense to George and Colby and David and Aaron and all the people that we love. It's a different kind of animal when you're covering a team in South Florida as opposed to covering a team in Winnipeg. These are different animals, and perhaps that suits Paul Maurice better. And I just think that we need to add that into how we view this team going forward from the coaching perspective because the Winnipeg example is probably not one that wholly translates. Imagine Paul Maurice getting, like, zero questions about why Denisenko isn't popping more in in practice because he would in Winnipeg. For sure. Well, I mean, we hope. I mean, you know? the fact that you know as much as you do about Billy Hainola's struggles in development is because a lot of it's Winnipeg media, as opposed to the kind of questions he's going to get from the Panthers folks. And that's not to say that they're asking yeah, bad questions. It's they ask different questions. Yeah, yeah, for so sure. That's the yeah, whole I mean, discussion that we really need to focus on that as we head into the season. And listen, if he's doing a poor job in coaching and we're seeing the team get caved in at even strength, we're going to mention it. But until we see it on a consistent basis in the regular season, in regular season hockey, we can't say that it's automatically going to happen, as many people are assuming who are otherwise very smart. 
Let's get to Spencer Knight, which is the reason why we're doing this podcast today. And when Jake Ottinger signed his contract, which was the most 1A to 1B, you know, straight line comparison we can make, I'm like, okay, Jake Ottinger getting three uh, years, $12 million, a $4 million AAV. When Ottinger is the starter and had that super insane series against the Flames where he almost won that by himself, I'm thinking to myself, okay, Spencer Knight's getting less than that. And that's fine because Sergei Bobrovsky is probably the number one starter this year. And the way that the cap is going and the way that Bobrovsky played last year, he might be the starter next year too. So I'm thinking, okay, Spencer Knight's going to get a bridge deal. They're going to transition from Knight, uh, from Bobrovsky to Knight being the guy. All of those questions are legitimate. And let's see what happens next. And then we see this contract where Spencer Knight's getting more than Jake Ottinger is. And... It's $500,000 more a year than Jake Ottinger, and that's not huge in the grand scheme of things, and we know that the cap will eventually go up. But it also it impacts but, his next contract, you know, because it's not like he's going to be a, it's going to be a, the qualifying offer for the next contract. But This is a discussion that we need to have because perhaps it's the qualifying offer next year that would have scared Bill Zito. Perhaps it's the fact that his agents who I should is mention Bill Zito's name. brother-in-law, apparently. Oh, the they are wrecking balls, man. Jordan Newman and George Bezos. These, these, I need to get agents like these guys when I get more into the broadcasting business because they use their leverage extremely well. And we saw that when Knight signed his first entry-level deal with the Panthers when we thought, okay, he might go straight to the AHL or they're giving more development time. And we saw what happened in we, 2021. We saw it when his agents were dropping the, the rumors in the market that uh, he could just hit the UFA market if Florida didn't give him the time he wanted right away and all this stuff. Even after he's, I mean, it's ridiculous. So, um, I, I, again, this is another area where I think Zito... Zito, I don't think, has ever rolled over in any negotiation except for when it comes to Spencer Knight. The way they treat Spencer Knight has to do with his draft pedigree and less on his on-ice performance. Um, as much as I respect him, you got to you know, give you know, it, a right amount of consideration to his, his pedigree and you know, what he could eventually be. Um, there's... This this deal I don't understand this. Why now before any games played? He has thirty-six NHL games played, his numbers are pedestrian, his win loss numbers are buoyed by what we talked about last year, the historic offense, the historic come from behind wins, uh, all that luck, you know. He definitely has a more five hundred record <laughs> for sure. His numbers, his goal because- save above average. All of those advanced metrics are perfectly acceptable. There's nothing crazy about them. But nothing not wrong. Four or five. Not four or five. But not, not that level. You are correct. Ottinger, not outperforming Sorokin. Again, this is somebody who's never played 50 games in a season, over 50 games in a season for a team. Has never really had a a professional starter's role ever. This is somebody whose major fall last year was that he was giving up first shot goals against or shots on the goals on the first five shots or goals in the first five minutes and putting his team in a hole that they could only climb out of because of that historic offensive production and come back to get wins. They they won't be so lucky this year if the third line is Lundell, White, and Cousins. They just won't be. That's correct. And I think that to me, 
when I look back at Bill Zito's contract negotiations and you look at the kind of, I'm not going to say it's hardball, but how they had to grind for that Barkoff deal, how they had to, you know, quite possibly they traded Huberto and Uyghur away because they didn't like the numbers they were going to get. And yep. you saw what Huberto's number is in Calgary. And the rumor about Mackenzie Uyghur is he wants Hampus Lindholm's deal, which if that is the case, then good on you, Mackenzie Uyghur. Please get the bag. You are one of our favorites, but I'm kind of glad the Panthers aren't going to give that out. He's willing to do that. Some of the other contracts he's given out, there's been very few that he's given out that I would say are actively bad. This is not actively bad, but this is one that I have questions about because, again, he's getting paid more than Jake Ottinger, who is the most direct comparable, and Jake Ottinger's starting, and also has the body of work to back that up and the playoff body of work to back it up. Now, Spencer Knight had that one amazing game five against the Lightning in 2021, but that was over oh, a year wow. ago. I mean, it doesn't he's happen had, anymore. He's had, he's had one game since he signed an NHL contract where he's looked where he's looked like from start to finish he actually is who they say he is i mean imagine if barkov or huberdo or ekblad had performed the way they were i'll give you a hint it's denisenko denisenko is playing is performing almost you know akin to like you know these are guys who are just you know struggling to really make the transition to pro NHL hockey. I mean, it, 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 it's just the case. I mean, you look at Denisenko, it takes him a first period to just do anything. Same with Spencer Knight almost every start last year. You hope and now that why couldn't it's they, out of why, him, but we why, don't know until we see it. Again, I don't think this is a bad contract. I don't. I just think, what was the rush? Why couldn't you have given him a couple starts? Why couldn't you be starting negotiation around Thanksgiving after seeing how he's developed, how his development has progressed? Because the last thing we knew was he was unable to be a starting goalie in the NHL. He had to get sent down to the AHL just to, to kind of get his confidence back because he was struggling to start NHL games. I and mean, that's it. That's did all you we expect know. last year at some point that Spencer Knight was going to overall outplay Sergei Bobrovsky? Because he never did. If, if he's a generational a goalie, yeah. in the playoffs either about starting Bobrovsky. And I thought we were going to have that discussion at some point. And in the playoffs, it never ended up happening. And that's because Bobrovsky largely played pretty well. But I thought at some point last year we were going to have that discussion, and we never did. Because there's no reason for it. And again, I mean, I think that my whole issue with Spencer Knight has nothing to do with Spencer Knight, nothing to do with his talent or what he can be. My issue is with the way they handle and treat him. This contract, the development, he hasn't played enough games for me. I Last year, I kept saying multiple times, I want him playing as many AHL and NHL games as possible. Get him over, get him to play 60, 65 games. As you know, like ha he's a two-way contract. Move him up and down. He can't. He's not waiver eligible. Move him up and down. They didn't. You know, like I, I, I don't understand why they, why they think that this, this kid just his shit doesn't stink. But that's the way they treat him in the media. I mean, everything about this kid is like he's just the bee's knees. Like, they treat him better than Lundell. I, I, if I was Lundell's agent, I'd be looking at this like, I guess my dude's getting like eight, nine million, like, after his ELC. Like, like he's, he's going to be a. I have more player power, but 
but this, I gotta see player power when you're when you've earned it in a way that I don't think Spencer Knight has yet. And that's not to right. say that he's not going to. And that's not to say that his agents didn't, you know, do the we're not negotiating in season and Bill Zito spooked by the qualifying offer, that kind of and, thing. And, and, and it's all is, reasonable, but still, you gotta have this, if if you're gonna have steely determination, show it here too. Yeah, I, agreed, agreed, and. And again, this isn't saying I don't rate Zito as one of the better GMs in the league and the GM I want to lead the team and all that. But I mean, you gotta you gotta call it how you see it. I would want I want him to be more aggressive here. I mean, if you really thought this way about Knight, if you think he's this good already, what are you doing him sitting on him on the bench? Like like it doesn't like like things still have to make sense. Like, just because Zito does something doesn't mean it's good. They still have to align to what Zito's t- saying is the goal, what peop- what we think the goal should be based on the talent of the team and everything. They need Spencer Knight to hit. You just, you just basically committed $14.5 million to goalies for the next three years after at this least, year. At least next year. At least next and, year. Well, I mean... You you until he's gone, you you have to assume he's here all the way through, and then and then because of you know what's the better alternative? You eat four million and you just add that on to Spencer's already over market valuation. You're paying Spencer Knight eight and a half million to be your starter. Then you have to go pay. Then you have Lion or Guzda's uh, cap hit as your backup, um, and that's that's if you don't have to go in and bring in a 1B because Knight's so good. You know, then you can get away with... If I mean, you're, maybe, If you're paying Spencer Knight to essentially take over the starter's role at some point in the future, yeah. then you shouldn't have to be looking for a guy who could also start along with him. Because let's look at Ottinger. His backup is Scott Wedgwood. I mean, he's a very good goalie, but he's not exactly going to be taking over from Jake Ottinger. If you look at, you know, some of these other guys, eventually... One of like Varlamov's going to leave at some point, right? Shesterkin, you know, they traded Georgiev because Shesterkin was the guy. So, like, that's the kind of guy you are now expecting to, you know, be as a backup, essentially, while Bobrovsky's still reasonably the starter, and he is. But at some point, you're going to have to transition away. And Spencer Knight, at the point that they do transition to him as the full time starter, has had to have earned it. And I'm not saying that he can't. And I'm not saying that he won't by the time this is all said and done. But it hasn't happened yet. And his agents are using pretty damn good leverage that they have over yeah. Bill Zito. It started when he came to the league and it's continuing now. And it's maybe the only time where I think Bill Zito has, you know, I don't want to say folded because that's not the right term. But it's the no. only time where I've thought that's a very player-friendly deal. That's a very player-friendly it's- arrangement you've made here compared to all of the other things that he's done. When he walked away from the second best player in franchise history, arguably, and one of the best defensemen this team has ever had because he didn't like the contracts that they were going to get next year. And this is what's happened with Spencer Knight. They don't match. I mean, I I would say I would feel comfortable calling it a fold um, or the closest thing to a fold you can get without being a fold. But, I mean, he caved to the pressure. They're like, he's signing this before the season starts and there's one more year left on his deal the earliest he could have signed the extension was july 1st so it looks like the eight the optics from the outside perspective are the agent put a 
a line in the sand at the beginning of the season saying, if we don't get X, Y, Z by the beginning of the season, things, things are going to get hairy as it, you know, whether it's, we're not going to talk until the end of the next season. Cause we don't want to be a distraction tonight um, or whatever they say, or we, we might, you know, the terms will increase or, or different or whatever, but you know that that was the, t- I mean, the, this timing if he would have signed, I mean, if Zito was going to sign this, if this is what he wanted and Zito was fine with this, they would have signed this in July. This this definitely feels timing based. And the other thing is I want to talk about is I would have rather like negotiate a bit. If he wants four or five or whatever, you know, then I would be saying, show me, show me in the first five starts that you have this year. Show me. Use that as a carrot. Why are you why are you depriving of a carrot? Now you've removed the carrot and you've added the possibility of an anchor. If he starts off slow, if he starts off struggling, and he, then that four and a half becomes an anchor. It's happened to Carter Hart with his three million, and he he's had you know better numbers in the NHL and better success on a worse team than Spencer Knight. So I mean, that's it, that's it, the thing that I think with these young goalies is you've got to be real confident that you're that you're betting on the right horse at the, the right time. And that's a tricky balance to walk. We've seen it as some of these teams transition to these younger goalies. The Rangers struck it really, really nicely. I mean, I actually out of curiosity, because I, I don't they remember waited. it. I want to see what Andre Vasilevsky's second contract looked like because he kind of was in a similar position where he eventually took over from Ben Bishop, but it took a while. But um, he, I'll say this about Vasilevsky. He pl- had years in a pro league of record break. Like he blew the doors off of a pro league in the KHL. So if we look at his contract that he signed before the 17-18 season, it was uh, three years, $10.5 million. So he got a million less in a smaller cap world than Spencer Knight got. So it's kind of similar, but I think Vasilevsky had more pedigree. I think some of these other younger goalies have had more pedigree when they got their contracts as compared to Spencer Knight, and that's really why. Yeah, whether, whether it's pedigree is. or more on-ice data results. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that there's a, there's a subsection of people out there in the, in the data stats community that think Spencer Knight outplayed Bobrovsky last year, but it's just not true. It's I didn't see factually, it at any point that he outplayed. I think he played perfectly fine. There was nothing wrong with his performances, but Sergei Bobrovsky was more consistent, and I thought he was better. If, Sir, if Spencer Knight was playing that much better than Bobrovsky, we would have seen him in the playoffs at some point, and we didn't. Or we would have seen him more in the regular season, and we didn't. Um, but the other, But the big reason is, I think, defensively, especially when it comes to goaltenders, we do not have the public models, the public models, not we, because I have no stakeholdership in that. Um, Unless you pay for one but, of them on Patreon, which we should well, do, but I'm poor and I can't do that. Yeah, but um, the, I don't think that they accurately can, can understand, compute, and measure brain farts. Like a goal, like like a goalie giving up a goal all the time. I don't think on the first shot or like the first ten minutes. I mean, it was a meme of not just us, but other people who of Florida Panthers who are like, 
well, hopefully Knight doesn't give up a goal on the first shot today, and then following up that treat with, oops, did I jinx it? Because he did. You know, like, this was something that's known. And we saw the same thing with a lot of defensemen. The ones like Yandel who give up these, or Uyghur in the playoffs, who give up these immensely brain-dead automatic goals against the models and the and these war cards and all this stuff don't accurately account for that because yes they do all that but if you know that once a game you're good for a soft goal against as a goalie or once a game you will give up a 2 on 0 or you will pass it right to somebody in the slot on the other team who could just one time it into the net and it's not the goal you can't expect the goalie to save it you know that <laughs> That is like minus three to me. Like, you, there's just no way you can, you want that on your team. It's just, it's a death. It's so, a, it's a death. this is where we stand on Spencer Knight's contract. It's not necessarily terrible. It won't be terrible if he eventually becomes what Spencer Knight thinks he is and what we all think he can be. But he's not right now, and that's and, kind of why the contract is questionable. And I think that this marks the official end of the, the God ZD you know memes ZD. and all this stuff yeah big zd oh oh uh, yeah. but like you know like how like zito has all this swagger zito doesn't miss you know never lost i think like it all reminds us all that gms are people and they will make mistakes and even the best gms make mistakes and i don't think treating them as these you know these characters we make them out to be sometimes on social media whether it be out of you know the fact that the Panthers fandom has seen Dale Talon for decades and Tom Rowe and others who were quite bad. And now you have a GM that is certainly more than competent, has helped build a yeah, very, very but, good team, but they are also fallible. Let's be. Make yeah, that I, but we have to start critiquing. We have to start, you know, saying that this be, like like I could I just I spent a while tracing back how some of Zito's mistakes you know, bad decisions or mistakes, whatever you want to call, gray them out as, led to other ones and led to other ones. And it has a a cascading yes. and yes. exponential effect on the whole team outlook. And, you know, like, Huberto, like, may, like, this team could eat, like, as good as this team is now and as happy as people are with this team, there were even better possibilities out there. That could have happened. Like you, you could have, in theory, had a team with um, Kachuk and Uyghur. In theory, you know, and, you know, and I'll like, say it. I don't have. think that the Ben Sherratt trade was as bad as some people made it out to be. But well, it clearly wasn't. You know the best where move. I lay on that. You know, yeah, I think it was. I think it was just. I think it was Zito giving in to pressure from both his NHL coach and his NHL owner. But as I said, if small mistakes, it's not necessarily big mistakes, but small mistakes can compound. And you don't necessarily notice until the bigger mistakes or bigger openings come about because of the smaller cracks. These things happen under the surface. But and I'm without not saying that, that the whole thing's going to fall they apart. Had, if they didn't trade for, like, let's say they got Kulak instead of Sherratt, they had an extra first. They could have maybe moved the first with Hornquist to free up money to keep Claude Giroux or to keep Uyghur for the year or whatever. Yeah, there and are that, other things that, that could have happened. That exponentially changes the outlook for this year and, and where they stand and all of that stuff. So that's what we're talking about. Yeah. And I think that's what people have to start seeing. Like, na this team is, is 
is in the weeds, man. Like they're doing some things, and it's it could be great, it could be bad, but these are going to these are in huge watershed moments for the franchise right now. Absolutely, and and we have to just pick it apart every angle. Say what's good, what's well, bad. Well, we are not judging the Florida Panthers based on the standards by which we judged them until Bill Zito was hired. We judge them very differently at that point, and now we judge them as one of, if they want to consider themselves one of the best teams in the league, and they should be, then they will yep. be graded as such. And that means you're going to be graded on fine margins and tiny, small decisions. And sometimes if the small decisions don't go well, those small decisions compound themselves, and then you're not where you want to be. Because yes. when you want to win the Stanley Cup, the tiny, tiny things are going to be what does you in or puts you over the top. And every Stanley Cup winner has seen this. Every great team, every dynasty is a combination of big decisions, but small decisions and a little bit of luck. But the small decisions are also a huge part of it. And we are going to grade them harshly on small decisions because Stanley Cup contenders are graded on small decisions like this. Yes. And I mean, think about it. There's the Vancouver Canucks from around the 2010s. There's the San Jose Sharks from around that same period. There's the Flyers from the 90s. These are teams that have, like, those are the expectations of this Flyers team. I mean, not this Flyers team, this Panthers team. They've proven that they can win a regular season, win presidents, and, you know, play good hockey. They have talent. They have stars. They have a good core. What are they going to do with it? Those teams didn't didn't do enough to win a Stanley Cup. How far will Florida go? And the decisions they made this offseason, they make right now and through the year and what they do here, like we we're talking eight years, the next eight years. What do the Florida Panthers do? This year and next year are huge, 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 huge to determining all of those eight years. Absolutely. The biggest. So let's start by going into a little bit of preseason. They played the split squad games. You watched them. I did not. I don't think you could take much from that at this stage. To me, The first it, thing you can take away is that Florida was going to win the first game and Nashville was going to win the second game. You, you could have – I would have bet money on that, like $50. Betting money on preseason hockey is not something that I would have ever but wanted like, to do. You could look at the rosters and be – and you, usually when teams play multiple games against each other and they do like a home-and-home home or they do the doubleheader um, – you know, they don't stack the, the rosters against each other. Nashville wanted to have the late game, have their stars, so they, you know, the, the more people to show up for the, for the later game, get to see the Predators play better and all that stuff, get to see the bigger names, et cetera. Um, but, you know, it's not like they, you know, they just stack, either team just stacked. But I, I, you can't, yeah, wins or losses you can't look into. But individual performances – um, how people were used, like the quality of their line mates and stuff, can give you ideas of where people are in the pecking order right now. Like how how good are how ready are players? How good are they playing? Have they knocked the rust off yet? And then where does this new coaching staff kind of see them? Um, some examples, you know, Giles is the uh, the big underdog this year. Although I don't want to call him an underdog because he's six five, he's like taller than most people. Um, but Damn straight, uh, undrafted kid from Boston College, I think, not university. Um, one of those two, though, for sure. Um, but you know, he's had a great camp, and 
every time he's been given an opportunity, he's run with it. So he's, he's getting Boston College Eagle, and he's also from the beautiful metropolis of Chevy Chase, Maryland. Got to support the DMV. <laughs> um, but I mean, he when he's given time on the power plays, he's looked good. When he's been given time under center, he's taking shots off the draw. Like he's he's operating at the like he's playing the best hockey he's probably ever played right now. Um, and he's just hoping to turn that into something. And what most likely that's going to be turned into is a call up later in the season. Uh, so if he, get, he if he's one of the earlier cuts, don't worry about it. Um, he's definitely on. I want to say from the first, I didn't watch this, but Shalin and Kanunen played together and mm-hmm. I'm going to, you're going to hate me for saying this and I'm going to probably end up creating a drinking game inadvertently where I talk about upside because that's the thing on the blue line that I've talked about a lot and will continue to because a lot of the guys on the blue line that we pencil in opening night don't have a ton of upside. You either know what they are already or they don't give you a ton of upside from what they've already been. Those are two of the guys that have possible upside that can add something to a group in the blue line that's a little top-heavy and a little thin at the back. And my hope is that one of them you know, it's one of Ludwig, Kanunen, Shalin, somebody that takes that opportunity and runs with it and makes that coaching staff say, we cannot send him down. We can't cut him. And that's something I want to see. And they played together. And you said that you liked what you saw from both of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the expectations for this is kind of like the Nudavari uh, Montour pairing uh, that we saw for a little bit, like against third pairing you know matchups and stuff like that they had a good chemistry they fed off of each other and they could move around the ice and get keep the puck going in the right direction uh in in, you know responsible manageable minutes um because i mean shalin is aggressive in the on the other side of the red line offensively i mean he skates forward uh i mean if you're a fan of bobby Orr, uh you'd be a fan of him because i don't he doesn't like he doesn't like pivoting backwards and taking a rush. He he tries to snuff out the rush by moving forward and he's and very much taking a, a body. Panthers defenseman of recent years, which is extremely yeah. aggressive I mean, in the offensive zone. And he's I mean, it's been preseason, it's been rookie tournaments, but he's done a good job of under because basically that's a lot of angling. To, to be really good at that, it's a lot of timing and angling, knowing knowing where where down the ice I'm going to meet this person at the boards and how I'm going to position my shoulders so he can't get around me and he can't get to the middle of the ice or inside of me. So it, it is a hard trick, and this is his first experience, you know, recently in, in North America. So, you know, how he's handling it, is, you know, that he's adapting and able to do this well right now speaks well for you know if he doesn't make the team for the first cut you know he's going to be he might stick with the team when he gets called up you know at some point during the year and, and finish Lucas with it. Carlson didn't start with the team last year and eventually became someone where you're like okay I like what I'm seeing here and he never got yeah. sent down again he, he didn't play yeah. every night but he became something like that and you know we've talked a lot about Lucas Carlson maybe being a guy with that upside but Shalin could be Kanunen I mean, I think we all kind of want to see it because of the Tapara thing. You know, you want to see it because yeah. it's Barkov, because it's Barkov, guy from Barkov's team. You know, he, he talked about him at the, one point. 
he also has a good um, understanding of defensive lanes, breaking up plays. And in the same way that Sean's aggressive and takes the lead on the offensive side in the red, red line, as a pairing, they're very good at playing complementary roles. On the defensive side of that red line, Kanunen is, is, is really stepping, is really aggressive, is, is leading that line. And Shalin kind of just plays off of him, finds soft ice to be, you know, an outlet, and then just kind of, you know, make sure he doesn't lose his man and, and kind of just manage what he can in the D zone. And that really works well. So, you know, like I said, we don't know what Mark, you know, where Mark Stahl is going to be, how much he's going to play, and you know what Luke, the story with Lucas Carlson is this year, and and how healthy and how much he's going to play and all this stuff. But I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year, Shalin and Kanunen are are a pairing that plays regularly, almost every day. That would be cool. Uh, yeah, I mean it would be. I mean I don't. Again, I don't take any. I only take mainly positive signs away from preseason. Uh, so when, I mean, Ludwig did not look that great in, in his game, uh, in the preseason game. But again, he had the harder game, the harder matchups. Um, and, you know, I think his, I'm, I'm trying to remember who his pairing was. Um, was it Delzado? Yeah, Delzado, which, you know, doesn't make it easier because I didn't think Delzado or Mark Stahl to really looked good enough for uh, their age to be playing. Um, but, you know, I, I do think Naus and, and Ludwig are players, but I don't think that they're going to be guys this year. Oh, I think, um, I think, I think Nas is, is going to be a junior player. And I think Ludwig, because of the injuries, is probably more yeah. of an AHL guy most of the year. But we're just yeah. talking in general terms about, I want somebody with upside. Because Mark Stahl doesn't have upside. You know what he uh, is. Yeah. Delzado yeah. doesn't have upside. You know what he is. And that's yeah. not and, a bad and, thing. And but to be honest, I don't want Delzado playing hockey. Because, I mean, he showed it that he, there are shifts where he's like focused and just plays within himself and doesn't do too much. But then for the majority of the time, it's just like this guy does not understand that he's not good, that he's trying to be a role player on a team, and he's just passing to the other team in preseason. And he's one of the veterans. He's one of the, you know, I I, I don't know. I think he's a guy who's going to be get, who's who's going to be used to get the vet, veteran minimum in the AHL every night. To be honest with you, that that's what I'm hoping. That would be that would be wise, as I say. I want players with upside, and some of the younger defensemen have it. That's not to say that somebody yeah. like Mark Stahl can't add something to this blue line. But the more you see them, the more concerns I have because the guys with upside, possible upside, are not stepping up. Uh, in terms of the in terms of the forwards, I mean, there's not. Well, a I just want to I just want to uh, finish with some of the with the D real quick. Okay, Obviously, Ekblad, sure. Montour, Forsling look fine. Kudis is, looks the same, which means stupid penalties, but otherwise fine. Um, Mark, I think Mark Stahls doesn't need to play well, so that doesn't really matter. But transitioning into forwards here, I thought Eric Stahl has been playing well enough to get signed based on how much they're talking about him, how much opportunity they're giving him. Those are signs that I think show there. It's going to be harder for him to lose a spot than gain a spot. 
which I, I don't think Eric Stahl in the times we've seen him play recently has been terrible. Like I think the, the, the standards blind. we have for what this is going to be for a forward like this, like Joe Thornton last year was, you know, Joe Thornton, like the standards aren't particularly high, but I, you want Eric Stahl to be a reasonable contributor if you're going to do this. And we'll see if they can, if they can make that happen. Yeah, um, I, I, I think what it's going to do is this is a veteran body who is going to be playing Maurice's, excuse me, or Maurice's system. I just have to drink beer to get through this um, <laughs> Maurice's system, you know, from day one. He's going to be a guy that you can count on to shut down things, penalty kill for game one. Um, and that's going to allow you Maurice time to figure out the bench and We'll see how much he plays down the stretch. Yeah, I think there's a good chance he gets Joe Thornton down the stretch into the playoffs and just doesn't play. But he's okay with that. Because um, I don't think there's many other teams that are going to give him maybe 30 to 40 NHL games I mean, played this year. His brother. His other brother now works for the Checkers. I yeah. mean, come on. Well, I mean, I feel like Mark, Mark was probably saying, like, um, hey, I'm the only one that hasn't gotten to play with somebody. You know, you guys all had your fun in Carolina. Someone come to Florida with me. Um, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. I I don't really mind it. I mean, this is better than Brian Boyle. This is better. I think this is better than Joe Thorin in a he's more serious. He's more he's, he's won a actually cup. going to play and be meaningful when he's yeah. on the ice. And as much as we love Joe Thornton, when he played Joe last Thornton year, it was, was it was it was kind of rough. Different. Yeah, Joe Thornton was vibes. This is a little different. You're, you're so. right. Um, Barkov, he did Barkov things. Los Duran had scored a shorthanded goal. That's awesome. Yeah, Kachuk, I honestly don't care what Kachuk does in the preseason. Are, if you're a Same veteran, if you know you're going to be on the roster opening, I don't really care what you do in the preseason. Yeah. Don't get hurt. But the pro, I mean, what I didn't like was White cousins lindell that, that has anton lindell that's the one thing i'm going to say right now and that's something that i hope does not become a trend i don't want to see anton lindell playing with players like that but i also don't want to see anton lindell playing extended time as a winger no i mean no and and simple solution sam bennett 3c i mean it sam bennett playing i mean when duclair comes back it's duclair or Bowser's, and hey man Bowser's is great. We we said that from the get go. We I loved him when he was drafted. There was some there I loved some, him in San some Jose. talk that he might be the guy that starts with Barkov and Verhage to start yeah. the year. And and the reason is, dude does not miss the net. Like I mean, he just like he can just always shoot, and when he shoots, he most likely hits the net, and he he has a good shot. I I think I think he's a guy who would he plays with the center like Barkov. And Barkov happens to play with a winger who's very much like him, like in Verhage, who just floods the slot in the crease with passes. Um, so and like Lindell's the same way. So if he plays with Lindell, that's okay. Like if you can get, you know, White Lindell Bowsers, that's better than. But when you when you have White Cousins and Lindell, and not to kind of pick up the meme of Paul Maurice, but that kind of like okay, Paul Maurice is sending these guys out there for nothing to happen. He wants zero event hockey. I don't want Anton Lindell to come close to zero event hockey. I want Lindell to be a power killer. I want Lindell to be highly offensive. I want him to basically be as close to Barkov as possible, which means like up and down the ice, just dominating, 
you don't have to make him play with defensive players because he's good enough to overcome a Huberto or somebody else's shortcomings defensively. We saw that there, there was uh, we I mentioned this on one of the shows we did a long time ago, but there was a breakdown Bill Lindsay did on one like Anton Lindell play along the wall as a rookie. It was in that crazy Columbus game in Columbus where they scored like nine goals. And I just said, that's it, man. This is one of the best rookies I'm seeing in the league this year. And he was playing as a center, and he was doing really, really great things. I don't need to see him in a defensive role because I know he could play that. I want to see his offensive game, you know, level up. Because eventually you want Anton Liddell being the second center. And hopefully, and I know you want this, and I think maybe the team does, that by the end of the year he is the 2C and it's not Sam Bennett. But that means he's got to be put in positions to succeed offensively. And you're not yeah. doing that if you're playing with Nick Cousins and Colin White. So <laughs> right. please don't do that. I, I mean, our whole philosophy is for your top prospects, you need them to constantly be playing in the role that they're supposed to be. That's why we're saying Spencer Knight should be playing starter somewhere. You want them to be in the role you eventually <laughs> yeah. foresee them to be in. You have to play you, them yeah. up into that role. You can't wait for them to, you know, yeah. it doesn't happen automatically. And if they're not ready for that level, then you give them that role in the level below. You know, but they have to play that role. You I don't want to see Anton Lindell on the wing at really any point ever. And, so and that's one trend that needs to stop. And the only way that you're going to get me to like Kachuk away from Barkov is if he's playing with Lindell. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I am, well, I'm going to hammer this one in too. Matthew Kachuk and Alexander Barkov have to play together a lot this year. You, I don't think you acquire Matthew Kachuk, who is a such a different kind of player for you know one of Alexander Barkov's best friends and somebody who he played with so well that you're not going to challenge Alexander Barkov by giving him Matthew Kachuk, not just off the ice, but on it. And I think those two could have an incredible chemistry, but you have to play them together. And I understand yeah. that Paul Maurice is starting with familiarity and the fact that Bennett and Kachuk were flames, and I get that. But by some Eventually. point very soon, Kachuk and Barkov need to play together. That's yeah, I mean, a lot of things that we talk about, we're talking about by games 25 in the regular season. Uh, we're yes, hoping and I see. also think that as, as we say this now, I'm not expecting to see it night one. I'm not expecting to see it necessarily in the home opener. But by Thanksgiving, these are the kind of things you definitely need to see. Yeah. And that's where this needs to evolve from. And that's why I, I think it's going to take some time. And that's why I said as we start to get into this season that I'm predicting this team's probably third in the Atlantic behind Toronto and Tampa because there's a lot of growing they have to do in the regular season. Yeah. And it might and start with a somewhat rocky October. And that's fine as long as they still show on the overall play that they're going in the direction they need to go in, even if it doesn't start amazingly. Because they also have the long road trips to start the year. They got to yeah. get through them in November, and that's a little trickier than getting them, say, in January or March. And, and I think what they should do, and w what I hope they do, so if this happens, don't like freak out when you see the final rosters on day one. With the road trips, with the expectance of this is going to take 10 to 15 games to get the system in and all of this stuff to get expectations to be normalized and all of this stuff under this new core and this new coaching staff. Um, I want them to run a big roster. I mean, guys who can't get, who aren't eligible to waivers, wave them, bring them up, drop them back down, try to use the most, the biggest roster you can pretend you're a, you're a premier league team and you, you know, you have to have a cup schedule. You have to have a league play schedule, you know, like try to get everybody going here. 
um, because there's a lot of new people. There's a lot of young guys. And I mean, we're talking. So if we look at the forwards, um, you take out Duclair, they have 12 forwards that are guaranteed spots, right? Maybe 13 with stall. We were talking about, that gives maybe one opening night roster spot up for grabs. It could be Dennis Sanko for the talent level. It could be Hepo Niemi because he's earned it. It could be, you know, Giles because he's playing great. You know, hopefully they give him a ton of time in the AHL, though, because I think that's going to be best for him. It but, could be you know, Lemchi, as long as he's just not yeah. playing with AHL kind of scrubs. Yeah. Yeah, a guy that we haven't even mentioned once yet. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different guys who it could be. So you want to see them all get time in the AHL. You want to see them get time in the NHL. You want to see you want to see this team kind of all move forward together and start to filter out the pecking order in that bottom six. Um, because, like we said before, I mean, this is a large turnover. And as far as expectations, I mean, on the D core, you're basically other than Ekblad and Forsling, everybody else is trying to figure out their new normal whether they're stepping up whether they're staying the same rung and somebody else is stepping up over them it's it's competition it's fighting for spots and minutes which is good that that can breed a lot of positive results um but i want the florida panthers to lean in if they're going to take a step back if they're going to do all of this i want them to you know get lundell a lot of time get bowser's a lot of time get you know, run through a couple forwards, see who has, you know, you know, in other years, I'm like, oh, yeah, Shane Harper, get this kid out of here. He sucks. Well, luckily, the Shane Harpers of the Panthers now are four or five levels better at hockey. So I don't mind if they, Seth, you know, get a couple of early I think, games. Yeah. I think uh, our, our friends at Panther Paris had a, had a tweet a little while back, like, who are your favorite Panthers, like, utility forwards? Like, just random dudes. And, and mine was like, I remember what everybody was high on Seth Griffith. You remember that when he was playing with Barkoff and Yager? Uh, Shane, oh, Shane, Shane Harper will always be the guy I trot out as of like the no name guys that they tried to sell us to be like, we have these front office guys who are just so smart. They found this guy and blah, blah, blah. And like Shane Harper, like couldn't even like, first of all, he tried to, like if you if you remember Shane Harper's skating style and hair, it was kind of like Ryan Lomberg. So Ryan Lomberg makes him look awful at hockey. I mean, hey, you know what? Good for Ryan Lomberg, man. I mean, yeah, he's man. he's created a hell of a career for himself. But and, uh, I, I, listen, compared to some of the things we used to minutes. see, Ryan Lomberg's he's, great. And he's going to be fighting for minutes this year. As and, as and he, he should, should be. Yeah, but I mean, like again, I want to get him time, but I also want to get have him sitting out nights. You know, because there's, I mean, if they if they keep Eric Stahl, there's probably 16 forwards that need to play 20 games. How do you make that work? That that I mean, this is why they wanted to hire Maurice so that they don't have to. You know, the front office doesn't have to think about it. Maurice is an experienced guy and can figure out how to get everybody playing time, communicate it in a way where everybody feels valued and part of the team. I mean, look, I mean, Patrick Hornquist should not be playing That's... all that many games this year. If you if this oh. team makes the playoffs, and they should, and oh. you want Patrick Hornquist for the playoffs, then you're not playing Patrick Hornquist a ton of games every every night, like every other I, night this year. He shouldn't because I, he's not that guy anymore. 
So I'll say two things about Hornquist. One, I think he's due for regression in goals. I was looking the other day. I saw a couple threads on Twitter. Oh, I saw one article that suggested he had a lot of bad shooting luck this uh, past season. He's due for regression in a positive way, and he's going to score more. Yeah, I wouldn't mind keeping him. However, I still think he's he's one of the few people on the team that I actually think there's a realistic chance he's not here by day one. By game one, regular season game one. Another one is Radko Gudis. I mean, Radko Gudis is what he is. I mean, we know what Radko Gudis is. I think think that Denisenko, Hornquist are very... I want to say this as we start to shift to other teams and other stories around the league just briefly. (laughs) Denisenko, it's starting to feel like this is is not a different situation. I don't... I, I like when for the draft pick I had him if the if they had to draft a forward draft Denisenko as one of the three forwards I wanted drafted in Yeah, you spot. were not mad with that pick. It wouldn't but have been I, your ideal but you weren't mad with it. I I at that at that moment in time I knew they needed a D because by now 2022 they need a D who's played a couple years and the D that they could have had they could have had Rasmus Sandin they could have Niles Lundqvist they could have had you know James Bernard Docker they could have had you know so many other D that that draft um that are NHL quality right now that they could be playing and plugging in and they, their team would be I, I, I think that Sanko, you might see a Dennis Sanko trade at just, some point like he, he looks exactly the same to me in preseason now as he did his first preseason, that it takes him a period to get into it. Where like the first period, it's like, dude, why aren't you moving your feet? Why aren't you re- like, why aren't you being proactive? Why aren't you trying to get the puck? Like he's always just tries to be like behind a fortune. Like he always tries to tries to be the second Panther closest to the puck instead of going to get the puck. It, you know, and it takes him until the third period where he's probably like, oh, I'm not playing well. Uh, you know, I got to do something where he starts to play a little more desperate and hungry that he starts to do a little bit better. But by then his ice time is getting cut, you know, and they started him off playing him with uh, like Henry Bowlby, a guy who I don't think ever sniffs the NHL, um, but a good story. But he also just decked somebody in the Spencer night last night. So like, I, I tweeted out immediately after. I was like, dude, I'd cut this guy tomorrow. Like, I know he's already going to the AHL, but, like, come on. You you can't deck somebody into the goalie in preseason. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised like if that, that ends up happening. That, if that's that who Paul Maurice, after the beginning of training camp, was like, I'm going to give Giles power play time. I'm going to give Giles better line mates. I'm going to give Dennis Sanko guys who are not in consideration at all. What's that tell you about how he feels about Denisenko? Eh. You know, at this and, point, and I would, as I said, I Denisenko, might consider a trade. Yeah, and and again, Denisenko industry reputation is still the same. One of the most skilled guys who isn't a regular NHLer out there right now. However, why hasn't he been able to make it work? Corey Prongman, Scott Wheeler, EP prospects, all of these people. See the talent. See why Florida drafted him where they did. They just it, it it seems it's coming down to a development issue. Whether it's on his side or the Florida Panthers side or half and half, who knows? But the best thing for him probably was to trade him last year. But let's trade him this year. 
I get get somebody in, get a young defenseman in Again, or something like that. I, I like the name. I like the player. He seems like a great guy. You know, this isn't a Russian thing because I have no problem with Russian players. They're not the government, um, all this stuff. But, like, I want it to work so bad. But, I mean. I think we have to admit at a point other, that it might just not work. Other Unless Paul Maurice is telling you, don't trade this kid. I will use him. I just want him to get his confidence up in the AHL. Trade him. I mean, I needed, like, I wanted, like, I mean, Hepo Niemi is just, like, he's, he, like, Hepo Niemi still weighs, like, 160 pounds. Hepo Niemi is dropping guys. Denisenko's, the only time I notice Denisenko is when he's getting dropped. Like, he's 150 pounds soaking wet. Like, he's Hepo Niemi. Like, I, it, it, it's, it's not just a physical thing. It's not just a mental thing. It's not a Russian thing. Like, I, I don't know what it is. But it's just not translating. I think it's also, and this is something as we transition now to other things around the league, I want to say about the Panthers' development model. We haven't really seen what Bill Zito's development model looks like because he came in yep. during the pandemic. They didn't have an AHL team last year. They had a good AHL team, but they split it with Seattle. So this is the first time since 2019 the Panthers have their own AHL team. This is the first time we're going to see truly what their development looks like on their own without you know, yeah. Tampa or Dan Bilesma on their staff or something like that. So I'm interested to see what that looks like. But Although, we need to see what it looks without, like. Without Dan Bilesma, what will, what will Gordy Kinnear do? Oh, oh no, Gordy Kinnear. Anyway, you almost no, said... No, he, he's Gordy. You, you, I, I almost said Greg Kinnear. You know, got, I know. I was about to make the Greg Kinnear I, joke. Greg Kinnear has accomplished more in hockey than Jordy Kinnear, as far as I'm concerned. All right, let's move on to some other topics around the uh, league. I, I, I do just want to finish with some some positives um, with the with the Panthers and, and just a final thought. Um, I I think it's it's positive that the I didn't really notice a change in style in the preseason. Um, obviously, the defensive focus and all that stuff is never going to be there in preseason. And that's where the change, but like the quickness, the transition game, that speed that was intact still so far. That's good. That's good. The, the other thing is I want to say, I want to say that this should be common sense, kind of like you need a coach to evolve practice over the full year that we talked about earlier, but I've been seeing a lot of stuff about Paul Maurice and like his training camp and how different it is to last year, how like some of the standards missing the net, the everybody that's on the team that missed the net skates, like in, even when it's in flow drills and stuff, um, you know, or push-ups or things like that. Um, this is stuff that we should have seen before. I'm so happy we're seeing now um, and it needs to, needs to be kept up. So that's a positive. But that's obviously not that's not the linchpin. That's not what's going to give success for the team. But it, but it's good to see the competitive, the fast, the speed, the skating, all of these components continue on through a new regime and coaching staff. The final thing is for this year and the outlook with the Panthers, um, to make a kind of clumsy, sloppy analogy, um, I'm kind of like Formula One. 
I know there's a lot of people uh -oh. who watch Drive, Drive to Survive on Netflix. Well, as I said before, Tommy has been doing F1 before Drive to Survive. So when he's right. talking, when he's talking, you know, talking about people in the paddock, I, I do believe him more than. And not to say that the people who right. like F1 now are genuinely not liking F1 or, or new to whatever. Right. But right. this is. But Tommy's been doing this, and you might remember podcasts before Drive to Survive where he would drop F1 references in there. Yeah, and so like in Formula One. There, like the formula part of Formula One, for those who don't know, is is the regulations and the formula of the car that they race. And every once in a while, there'll be a change in these regulations and formula, which it is happening. Recently, didn't they? Yes. This this is the first year of the new one. So when Max won, when Red Bull won last year, that was the Did last really year. Win, or was the race official just that much of an idiot? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, Max really won, uh, for sure. Um, but again, I've always been a Red Bull Max fan, uh, as much as I like Lewis, uh, as well. Lewis is great. Um, but so, so that last year was the end. So I was like, you know, those were the cars that people spent years developing, right? Um, and so it was the peak out, out perform, peak performance from that car, peak output from that car. This year is the beginning, and you see Mercedes and you see Hamilton are struggling. They're not fighting to the last race with Red Bull and Max, and they're not winning every weekend like they did the years before. Um, and what they're doing, they, they struggled. It didn't work. So this whole year is now about developing the car for next year so they can get back to competing. So there is still a challenge. They're still giving it everything they got. They're still having an output. There's other teams who, you know, they weren't in the championship fight in the last formula last year, and they're not in the championship fight this formula this year, but this is the beginning. People, people are still developing and finding out what works. So this is about, there's some teams like McLaren that are building there's some teams like alpine alpine that are building and trying to become the winners two three years down the line and get the formula right in the middle of it so they have a couple of years of success and i say this because i think after the reset the reset that zito did in the in the kachuk for huberto and Uyghur trade did was was kind of basically changed the formula for the Florida Panthers. The goal wasn't about maximizing the current roster as possible. It's about gearing up and getting this new core of Kachuk, Barkov. Obviously, Barkov's the number one piece of the core. I don't mean to list them second. I'm sorry, Sasha. But Ekblad, Knight, you know, Knight's now part of this core. Lindell's now part of this core. Verhage is. I would even say a guy like Wall Streeting is as well, but in Bennett and Reinhardt, but they're a little more secondary. Um, you know, maximizing that core. This is the age group that, you know, we have this big extended window. How many cups can we win here? What can we do? You know, let's, how do we get this group to play together? You know, Uyghur is not part of the core, but it looks like Brendan Montour is for the next two years. It looks like Gustav Forsling is the number two D, you know, 
it looks like we may have a better, bigger spot for Carlson now. You know, this new group, this new formula, we put all of these things in. How do we get the output to equal a Stanley Cup? How do we develop this to a Stanley Cup? And that's how I'm approaching this year. I, I, I think you will be disappointed if you approach this year as in a they have to win a cup, they have to win every game, all of this stuff. I, I just don't think you can you'll be satisfied as a fan. And I think that, you know, what I kind of just laid out and, and and trying to evaluate them on developing to peak, you know, next year, you know, to to but you know, peaking next year means winning a lot this year. It means winning playoff series this year still. Yeah, right? let, let's be clear you know, here. This team is not going to be – it's not going to be acceptable if they miss right. the playoffs. We're still right. saying this team might not have necessarily the and, cup upside that they had a year ago, but this is still one of the best teams in the East. Right. And, yeah, and I think that they need to be – to be that, but expecting them to be what they were a year ago is just not feasible and don't expect them to be that. This is a different team – that is trying to do somewhat different things because they recognized that what happened last year, for better or for worse, was not necessarily repeatable, and they're trying to do something a little bit different, a little bit more sustainable, that doesn't just work in November and December, but also works in April and May when they right. need to start winning. And that, again, maybe they make a cup run this year. It's certainly possible. I don't foresee it happening immediately, but this team's still going to be really good. It's just going to be a different kind of team than the one you saw in the shortened season in 2021 and last year and that's not a bad thing it just means it's different and we have to recalibrate a lot of things and that means recalibrating how we view the team how we view coaching how we view the front office and that's going to take time it does not happen overnight and that's what part of this process is and I think that that's what this fan base and that's what we as people who cover them have to do and that's yeah. not going to happen immediately, and that means we're going to miss things in the early going of the season, and maybe it is a little rocky, but we still expect this team to be very good. Third in the Atlantic still means they probably finish with over 100 points. It yeah. just might not be the same way you saw it a year ago, and that's fine. I don't think there was any chance that they could repeat that. Yeah, yeah, and, and third in the Atlantic this year is like uh, second – Second or third in the central when the Blackhawks were like dominating. Well, look, like um, this team is still really, yeah. really good. Has plenty of talent. Is one of the most talented teams in the league. It's different than what we have seen Panthers teams in the past do. Yeah. So as we are basically ninety minutes in, let's get to some other things briefly. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. Are they going Can, to admit that now is the time to just give up the ghost? I mean, yes. not give up Shane Goss to spare, but give up the ghost in general. Ryan Ellis is out yes. for the year. I don't know if he's playing again. Sean Couturier has his back injury. And I don't know if he's ever going to play again. I mean, if you look at if you look at what they've said for Sean Couturier and what, what's happening, it's very – I mean, it, that could be the end of his career or turn him into, like, a third-line center for the rest of his career. You know what I mean? Like, he was already kind of slow to begin with. And, yeah, he's also hard – he never played a full season – yeah, if, if, if I'm the Philadelphia Flyers, I know there's there's some signals saying now that okay maybe he could be back in a month. They shouldn't be thinking no. like this. No. Do not rush Sean Couturier back for a season in which you know you're going to like they don't want to admit it, but maybe now that Ryan Ellis is out for the season, they can finally admit to themselves that this is not going to go well. They're going to be one of the worst teams in the league. It, I know that they 
don't want to do this. But they should just admit, this ain't it. If we are bad this one year, and we tell our fans, look, we know you know what the pot at the, of gold at the end of the rainbow is. I've seen highlights from Connor Bedard. He's already insane. If you get that, that's franchise changing. And, I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist about the draft lottery, but the NHL would love I to am. have a superstar like this in Philadelphia. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I, I believe that the NHL heavily influences who wins the draft lottery, just like they heavily influence a lot of things. Um, oh, I, I, they're, just, they're I don't believe it, man. I never will. Uh, Colin Campbell uh, and player safety evidence and emails. Oh, Jesus. Anyway, to, uh, regardless of conspiracy theories and tinfoil But hat, they all for 2010 and Patrick Kane, so I'll say. I just want the Philadelphia Flyers to admit that this ain't it. They're not going to be I, good this year. Just give I, it. If, if they are bad this year and they say, hey, this is like 06, 07 where everything went wrong. We've got the second overall pick. The following year we made the conference final. We can try to be good next year, but we know this year has a bad set of circumstances. Let's just... They're not competing in the in the Metro. Too many other teams are better than them, and too many other teams took a step that they haven't taken. Let's play the young players. Let's grow with this team. We know our big stars aren't going to be there, and we can... Joel Farabee's also dealing with injuries, man. Just punt it. Nobody's going to be mad at you if you admit the obvious, and the Flyers I, fan base is already quite mad. Satiate them. <laughs> yeah, I think that they internally admitted it, I don't think they will ever publicly admit it, and for the big reason, because if they do publicly admit it, that will welcome public questions from even the media that's very in their back pocket. And I will say every Flyers media person, including Charlie O'Connor, who I really like a lot, is, is carrying a ton of water for the franchise right now. A ton. Without Zach Hill who still posts every picture of every flyer still credited Zach Hill in retirement. Like, dude, go home. You're not Tom Brady. Enjoy your family. Um, uh, but also tell flyers, uh, don't blacklist me anymore. Yeah. Um, Good Lord. Uh, anyway. Uh, You're going to be persona non grata at Voorhees. That's, that's not good. I, I go there too often hey, for things. Hey, if I can get the whole state of New Jersey outside the uh, Jersey, uh, outside of Ocean State, New Jersey to to ban me i'll love it no um, don't do that don't but do that. anyway i'm princeton but um well, anyway. definitely don't want to be blacklisted in princeton buddy i don't think i don't think i ever will by marriage um uh, anyway well, well again you don't don't test fate anyway uh, I, I just want to say that I, in the case of the flies I, I also think part of why they're scared and well I, look at what they did i mean you like if if they're admitting if they're admitting that this is over, right, that they're tanking and all that stuff, why, why the risk aligning contract? Why, I mean, like, you have to start asking a lot. Why, you know, like, you have to start asking a lot of questions. Um, and again, there's a lot of things that they necessarily aren't doing or are in the position to do in the next couple of years, um, like orchestrate a good cap and to put a team to like all right this is one of the best drafts in history if you're tanking you got to start thinking about insulating those guys next year do they have that is rasmus ristolainen for one two three four five more years basically you saying oh yeah this is a good pro we'll give him him you know i don't i don't necessarily know so i think that there's a reason 
the best thing for Fletcher is to accept the tank. The best thing for the Flyers is to accept the tank. But I think they kind of have to wait until it actually happens next year because a year separation from that and what they tried to do at the beginning of the summer. Like, if you were going to get Connor Bednard, why didn't you move JVR to sign Goudreau? Because shouldn't you have a playmaking winger who is in the prime of his career to be his line mate to develop him? Because <laughs> right now, Bedard would be playing, like, if they draft him, next season Bedard's playing number one center with, like, Atkinson and Farabee or Tippett or somebody like that. Noah, like, I mean, Noah Cates, like, I, <laughs> you're going to basically ruin this kid. So I, I think they can't admit it because they have a lot of steps to to make a, to actually. I also be want to say Chicago. that I think another reason why they can't admit that they're tanking, and they won't admit ever that this is true, but I really do think it's true. I think what happened with the Sixers and trust the process has spooked them a lot, and the Flyers never tanked anyway. Like that's just not something that they did under Ed Snyder. But I really do think trust the process has spooked them because they see what's happening down the hallway with the Sixers and they see what that led to and the kind of environment around that team. It definitely spooked them. And I think it's very much in the walls there. They don't want to admit it, but I think at some point they will realize that they're bad and they will lead into it. And that's the best for the franchise. You don't have to tank for multiple years. You just have to be bad for one year get the generational talent and go from there. But we'll see what happens. They're going to be the eighth best team in the, in the Metro. They're going to be one of the worst teams in the East. I think that's yeah. very obvious, but they just got, I think we have to let them admit it themselves rather than egging them on into it. But I think now that Ellis is out for the year, probably now that Couturier is dealing with these injuries, it might behoove them to lean into it. Once the season starts as badly as everybody expects it to. Um, yeah. Also, it's worth saying that Nolan I, Patrick I, might not play anymore, and that sucks. But, like, screwing that pick would, up has also, have, you know, not helped. Who would have thought that the only the actual piece of that trade would be Cody Glass in Nashville? Oh, he's barely an AHLer. Yeah, exactly. Myers is in Tampa, probably going to be an AHL. NHL. They're going to try to rectify him, and I, 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 mean, I, I trust I, them to at least attempt it. But uh, we'll, but we'll see. But the rest, I mean, boy, oh think, boy, does that trade look really, really like. I mean, it just my looks problem like a for your of, problem in hindsight. It literally looks like a bunch of NHL guys who, like, every single person has had their career just completely derailed by injuries and like head injuries or like reoccurring, like le- like almost uh, always going to be there injuries. Oh, just terrible yeah. bad luck, and it sucks. Yeah. It's it's awful. It's really unfortunate but then, for all of them. Again, as much as I'm really, really, you know, no one wants anything bad to happen to the Flyers training staff. The amount of Flyers, I mean, you read every Flyers prospect pool ranking, and they talk about how the Flyers draft picks have been ravaged by injuries. You read any season review of the last 10 years of the Flyers, Ravaged by injuries, groin injuries that never went away. Players kept re-injuring the same things. You t- you talk about all the players that they trade have 
you know, they're by the time they trade him, their careers are just maligned by injuries. They finally this year have a new training staff, have a new physical physical therapy staff. You know, they've really cleaned house there. Um, and it, it will probably take a year or two for that to actually show up in the results and maybe even more than that because all their prospects are kind of, you know, Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's going to be painful, but I think that is probably the thing I'm most excited for. And the thing I've spent probably 10 years, actually, yeah, over 10 years calling for happened finally. I mean, I mean, to give for the Panthers fans that are still listening this late into the podcast, but like, this is like when your marks left, man. Like, it. I couldn't see a way forward. By the for, way, can I yeah. mention that Brett Yormark, one of those Yormarks, one of the men who was responsible for the Panthers and Islanders playing back-to-back playoff games in 2016 because they already booked the Barkley Center for something else. I'm still mad about he that. He is now the commissioner of your Big 12 Conference. Really, really funny to me as a college sports fan. And I was just like, the Yormarks, just hearing that name brings me memories of the Panthers sponsoring saves and advertising to opposing fans. God bless that that thing is over. Uh, some other things around the league I wanted to talk about. We're not going to get to everything. Um, the retirements. Uh, obviously, Zidane Chara retiring. He's going to the Hall of Fame. Awesome. Love Zidane Chara. I don't know how anybody couldn't possibly love him. Unless, again, you ran up against the Bruins in the playoffs. That sucked, but he was awesome. So... So I want to quit my quick Chara story is um, I went I went to college in Poughkeepsie, New York, which means I had a lot of Islander fans at school. And I kid you not, every Islander fan I knew in their dorm room had one of these life size Sedano Chara like Islanders thing they used to give out to help you measure how tall you are. And it was like the coolest thing ever. Like all like that's how good of a person Zidane Chara is. All of these Islander fans that were kids when he was there that loved him kept this like game giveaway thing, this cardboard thing, long enough to hang it in their college dorm later on, even though he barely played for the Islanders and was a Bruins, you know, cup winner by then. Mm-hmm. It is Amazing. it is incredible to see again his career. And it's, it's almost impossible. Like, I came into hockey a lot later, so I only know Char as a Bruin. I don't remember anything before that. You know, the Islanders and let alone Ottawa. Senators, yeah. Yeah, and so there's all of that. But, I mean, again, one of the greatest defensemen. Again, six foot nine machine on skates. Played till he was 45. Just ludicrous. P.K. Subban, the injuries suck. It's so Hall unfortunate. Hall of Fame person. What? Hall of Fame person. Oh, Hall of Fame Dude is going to have a great career in media. He is going to yeah. be like he's going to pop up on the Manning cast on Monday Night Football and all of these things, and he's going to be a great ambassador for the game of hockey. I want him to be. If you can replace Paul Bissonnette on TNT, then I might watch that show more often. I just cannot watch <laughs> a show with Paul Bissonnette in it, and for very I obvious think... reasons. But he's he's great. He's always been awesome. His personality has been wonderful to see. When he was at his best, obviously, dude could win a Norris Trophy. It's just the injuries meant his fall was fast, and it stinks that that happens to somebody like that. 
and some were wondering why didn't he sign with anybody. You don't want to have to, if you're dealing with the injuries he's dealing with, and you know you're a 6th, 7th defenseman, and also he's an offensive defenseman, he's not like Mark Stahl or somebody of that ilk, like to go through that grind to be a 6th, 7th offensive defenseman in the league is just, I think for P.K. Subban, after all the money he made and what he's going to be doing now that he's retired, it ain't worth it. So good for P.K. I mean, again, I can't wait to watch this P.K.'s place show that's going to come out. I can't wait to watch it. I think that the P.K. Subban for a Shea Weber trade is one of the best trades to revisit in in hindsight. I mean, it was contentious. I remember getting into a lot of a I mean, lot again, of think uh, about that day. Arguments. Think about the but, I mean, P.K. for Subban, the P.K. Weber, uh, P.K. Subban for Shea Weber trade. Adam Larson for Taylor Hall, Stamkos' contract all happened on one day, one of the craziest days in the history of, of hockey Twitter. And that Weber for Subban trade is so weird because they both both made a Stanley Cup final, both had really good impacts on the teams they were traded for, and both had their careers prematurely ended right. by debilitating injuries. And and I, I got to tell you this. Um, I The amount of people who... I mean, that trade became a flag in the ground for whether you believed in stats, advanced analytics, advanced stats, whatever you want to call it, you know, data, or if you were an old school hockey dinosaur or whatever, you know, like, uh, you know, you were just eye ho- test. 200 or, hockey men. Yeah, yeah. That became such a flag, and they were both so wrong. And I think it's one of the most important trades to look back on, seeing how both sides was so stubborn. And I mean, I was part of this. I remember arguing with people that, you know, Shea Weber wasn't as bad. You know, Stephen Birch. You know, I remember getting into huge fights with him on Twitter about this because he was just saying that there is no way Shea Weber will be as good as P.K. Subban. Like, like because of the data they were looking at, there was no way this was possible. And this was 2016 where we just didn't have the level of data that we do now. Well, no, I think think it's it's about the mentality of when people get so so entrenched in an ideological war or argument or debate. That is also true. They they start becoming more, um, like... More like the people they resented. Well, yes, but also the possibilities become more limited. Like, like no one could see how this could work out for both teams. They thought it was going to either work out great for one side and terrible for the other. Nobody could see that this would be a good hockey trade at I the end of the day. Like, it, it didn't turn it, out to be a terrible trade for either side. It just went bad and even a lot New Jersey, quicker than people expected. Even New Jersey, because they got, they got to get to the cap floor. They got a personality, and they got somebody who wasn't necessarily that uh, somebody as good as hockey at this cap hit, which was great for draft picks. So, I mean, it literally worked out for every single person. And, I mean, there was a lot of people wrong about Shea Weber. There's a lot of people wrong about P.K. Subban. There's a lot of people wrong about the data and how to interpret it and how to use it in trades. And it is a great way to go back and to see, like, what can we learn from this? And, and and just remember, like, that's what I was thinking about when Huberto and Kachuk happened. Like, as much as I hated Huberto going, as much as I thought Huberto was the better player right now and all of this stuff, and, you know, 
we could have used Uyghur as just like our own rental by keeping him and letting him walk, or or maybe he would have had value in a separate trade that we could have gotten a, another defenseman back or something like that. But like, don't rush into anything because you know there's a world of possibility out there, um, and this could still work out pretty well. You see why they were doing it, you know, and now you just have to see how it plays out. Yep, and and the final retirement. I really love how he was the first one to announce his retirement, and then he gets completely upstaged, which is very, very much a metaphor for Keith Yandel's career. Keith Yandel, as a person outside of a hockey rink, listen, I have my issues with Keith Yandel on the ice. I had it with off the ice. A lot of that's barstool connections. You know where I stand on that. Keith Yandel was a really good hockey player at his peak. We have to accept that, and I do. I don't think the Panthers ever got that, but he was a very solid offensive defenseman and I know what Tommy thinks of him he's tweeted about it we don't need to rehash it <laughs> I do find it funny that he was upstaged by PK Subban and Zidane Char on the same day that was very as funny. he should have been as he well, should have been of course I mean if you're giving me those three defensemen at their peak I'm not going to take Keith Yandel anywhere other than third so let's be fair I think that also just for him you know these are things that he'll have so hostily have a career in media as long as it's not that podcast, then I'm fine with it. But, you know, he is a great example of how you viewed offensive defensemen again because the Panthers made that Yandel trade soon after Subban for Weber. It's a lot that could go on in those situations. But uh, the other retirement, yeah. Curtis Gabriel retiring, unfortunate. Obviously, we love Curtis Gabriel yeah. here. I can't wait to see what he does in just trying to make hockey a better place even though he's not playing anymore. I've tried to get him on this podcast. It hasn't happened, but I will try to get him on this podcast at some point. I, his story is incredible. What he's been able to do, the running joke with him and my friend Brock McGillis about potatoes is, is kind of funny. I have to admit, I do like it. But the fact that he's kind of willingly embraced what it takes to do the hard work of making hockey a better place and understanding what hockey culture can do to people when you don't notice it is really, really important. And I'm glad he is one of the faces of it genuinely good human being and again i hope that he is able to find peace in retirement just with the way his career ended but also just continue to be involved in making the sport a better place he should because he is a good voice for that and i didn't want his yeah. retirement upstaged also because it's very important a couple other things yeah want to mention I, I just i just have a final thing about yando one yeah i i find it the Barstool podcast. I mean, I yeah, you get some good stories out of it, but I just always find it funny when someone's like wearing like a pink a pink Barstool. There were. You know, I, I don't there, want to spend too much time on this. There's a lot of this, uh, Florida but... Panthers cred credentialed media and Barstool stuff and stuff. It's like I don't get it. I mean, I guess if you didn't really get like I've been around hockey culture enough. Like I don't need I don't need artificial hockey culture, and that's what Barstool podcast is to me. Is guys leaning into it. Like, I mean, the way Biz talks on... on I just TNT don't think that that's... It's, it's me, an affectation. Not just, the, not just the toxic elements of it, which is obvious to anybody who, who notices. We, we know that. But the, to me, it isn't even so much that. It's just that I don't want that being the face of hockey. I want that to change. That kind of culture does not have to define hockey in 2022, and it shouldn't. The toxic stuff, everybody can see the toxic stuff. That's obvious. Yeah. But I don't want that culture and what is above the surface and just below the surface. I don't want that defining hockey. We need other things to define this sport than even, that. 
even out of like even take the toxic stuff that we don't necessarily agree with out of the equation like i mean and this might be old man screaming you know yelling at a crowd or just being like oh my preference is different but you know i i want a hockey show where they talk about hockey you know where they actually talk about the hockey the x's and o's what's going on and this and that i think that there's a lot more it's more lifestyle it's more lax bro it's more you know and like I mean, it's more, listen, it's more, there are it's sadly more just, people out there that are like that and it works for them, but that's not the entire more, audience. It's more and just I, like, you know, bragging with your friends and like joking around and all this stuff. And like, I don't like, I, I like, I'm not going to take my time out of my day to go the wrong it. way. And it definitely can rub you the wrong way as it rubs me the wrong way. Then it's totally I, not for you. I'm, I'm just not going to go out of my way to find that. Like I, like, like I have that with my friends. Like I don't need to listen. Like in the same way, I don't just listen to a lot of podcasts where it's just people like talking about all this stuff or talking. You know, like, you know, I can. I don't. I don't. Why am I investing my time in that? Like, what am I actually learning and stuff? And like, yeah, there's some good stories that come out of it, but I think that there's better ways of getting there. And I don't even like the ESPN culture of like you know, ESPN and like the way, like the attitude and the mentality and the way they talk about like highlights and players and stuff like that. I'm like sports center and stuff. It's very similar. And I, I like, it's just, there's no value to me in that. And I don't really see it. And then when it comes to Yandel, I mean, this is a guy who at 26 with the Arizona coyotes was already going downhill and never recovered from going downhill. And I can't believe we're still talking about him. Like he's anywhere close to a PK Subban or even a Mackenzie Weger or even anything like this. Like he was never a Dev- Devon Taves. He was never a Kale McCarr. He was never, he was never like, I mean, he was maybe a Johan Klingberg. Even Montour. Like he was maybe a Johan Klingberg. He was maybe a Joe Corvo. He was maybe, you know, like, you know, he, at the end of the day, it's the only than thing. It's 99.5% of hockey players who have ever played only, hockey. The only thing, yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, like, you know, he's an NHL player. That's great. But the only claim to fame he has outside of those glory years with Arizona and being on the Rangers team, but he was a reason they didn't win the cup uh, or go further in their in their pursuit of the cup, um, you know, is the Ironman streak, which was gifted to him over multiple years by the Florida Panthers and the Philadelphia Flyers. And, and will be overtaken by and, Phil Kessel. And, and, and I, yes, which is great. And I'm rooting for it every single day. Dude's going to play also, a thousand straight games. It's the, awesome. The, the man, like, I'm, I cannot believe Keith Yandel, the first, time, first thing people say about him, great teammate. Is it a great teammate if he's literally putting his like we've been taught, whether for good or bad, that hockey is team above individual. So why is his individual accolade more important than like he he would literally I mean, people don't remember this, I don't think somehow, but he would not get a puck. He would let the other team get the puck because he didn't want to get hit because if he kept getting hit, he might not keep playing. He would let guys stand in front of the net unprotected because he didn't want to have to get in a jousting match in front of the net. Like, that is not a good teammate. A, a, a guy who is so careful, like, I mean, it's funny, he was a jokester and all that stuff, 
But if you're a jokester like that and you joke around and you and you're distraction, you know, I don't want to say a distraction like that, but you're doing all this media stuff, you're doing all this stuff, and then on the ice you put yourself above your team, what 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 value do you bring? Where are you the good teammate? Like, yes, you might help people when they move in and be like, Oh, these are the places, these are the clubs to go to, let's all hang out, let's all have fun. You might be that kind of good teammate. But are you a good teammate in making the team better? No, Keith Andel was not. And he probably wasn't his entire career. And it took for him to not be 25, 26 and a young guy where he couldn't skate around anymore. Uh, And his flaws started to show that he wore out his welcome in Florida. He wore out his welcome in New New York before that. And he failed to live up to his claim from his trade out of Arizona. To me, his career is more failure than success. And that's how it should be remembered. I hope you have a great retirement. But, dude, stay in Miami. I know you moved back down to Florida. Stay away from Florida. Don't mess with us, man. You already ruined enough hockey years. Like, don't don't, don't be calling up Ekblad to hang out on the weekend, man. Like, seriously, don't. Like, leave him the fuck alone. Like, like just, just leave the team alone. You're gone. These opinions represent Thomas Grulikowski and not the entire thoughts of Why Hockey LLC. No, no, all of Why Hockey LLC, 100%. Oh, I'm, boy. I'm putting it behind okay. the name. Okay, anyway, other... Other news, just quickly, I know you want to talk about Nils Lundqvist and that trade. Um, we had an argument eh, about that, just in I the mean, price. I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad price. I mean, if, 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 if the market is set for a first plus for Sherratt, yeah, I would give that price for... Well, I would give the, I would give the Sherratt price to get to uh, Nils Lundqvist, that's, that's for sure. But, I mean, that's what, like... The, there's only so many guys. Like, if you need a defenseman that's in that age range with that upside, and you think is a profile fit, and I do think he fits the way Heiskin in and, and that Dallas Stars team is playing with Pavelski leading up up front, um, and if they can just pivot off of Ben and um, Sagan, they can really become a team in the West to worry about. Uh, you know, I think he has a good chance of success there. I understand, like, if he spent a couple years in North America, in Hartford, kind of getting the Villy Hanola treatment with the yo-yo up and down, or Dennis Anko having some injuries a couple years in North America and stuff, I could see that. I could see him not being able to get this pick. But what, what, what the AHL level they played at last year, and the fact that the Rangers traded him before things went really bad, and he asked out before things got really bad. I think saved his value, and I think that there is there were a handful of teams that were rightfully able to offer up that price. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I I mean I think he has a chance to succeed in Dallas. They they're more than willing to take chances on those kinds right. of players. But I mean. I think for the Rangers, what you could say is they've acquired a lot of young talent, and even if they've botched their development, in which cases they largely have, they're still getting something for them. And that first-round pick that they acquired from Dallas is going to be used at the trade deadline for them to go for the cup. Like, that's what it's going to be used for. And there's nothing wrong with that. So, let's... <laughs> Patrick Kane. Oh, yeah, well, about that bit. Uh, is there anything else that we'd like to mention on this show? We are going to have a lot more preview stuff coming in the coming um, weeks before the regular season starts. There's got to be other things that I'm forgetting. Oh, there is I, one thing I'm forgetting. Jack Jablonski coming out. Awesome. Great to see. Lo- oh, yeah. Love to see that. You know you're going to get support from me always when it comes to that. 
And uh, the funniest thing Definitely. that I saw with that was the response from Jeremy Roenick, of all people, was very heartfelt and very nice. And I was not expecting to see that from Jeremy Roenick. So, you know what? It proves my theory that once you have this kind of story touch you in a personal way, the way you think about it changes. So that's why I keep hoping more people in this sport come out. Because if you can get people like Jeremy Roenick to change their mind, then you can do a lot of good work in making this sport a better place. So, And that's, that's why education is so important, because the more education, the more likely it is to reach you at a personal level. But to me, it always it, education is important. I think we need the education for these people. And we know I love my friend Brock, who's going and speaking to youth hockey associations, and it's awesome to say. But to me, you know what? The most important thing about it is if we get the stories from people, and it's not just hypotheticals anymore, that can really do good things in changing yeah. the way people think. And that's why these stories matter. I saw somebody who's like, why does this matter? And I'm like thinking to myself, I just saw Jeremy Roenick falling all over himself to defend somebody who came out because he knows him personally. And I would never expect Jeremy Roenick of all people to do that that is why this story matters yeah and and, and if you i don't think there's you, any better way to put it than that and if you read his words when, when he did come out you'll see um it mattered to him to come out well it, it matters it, to, you know it, like, of course it matters it really, to the person doing it, it always and it, makes, it, it, it first and foremost is most important for the person to do it because they feel that they have yeah. to but i think but it, if you if if, if people if people thought about that and people heard why it mattered to to people for them to come out and to have their moment and to and to say their piece and and to, and to kind of um, find that confidence and 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 I, I think they would they wouldn't ask that question of why it's important. I think you, you wouldn't need another answer. Well, again, we all want it to be a day where this yeah. doesn't have to happen, but hockey is certainly a place where this still is going to have to happen, and I hope that it happens more. It's really, really important, and obviously, Jack, you are welcome. Why Hockey, out, my other show, the Outfield Podcast, anytime. And this just makes us like the Kings even more. I've already said I think the Kings might be the second-best team in the West, so there you go. I did yeah, not have well, any advanced knowledge of this, and that's not why I was saying the Kings were the second-best team in the West, by the way, in case people are wondering. If, um, yeah, and the Kings probably would have won a playoff round if the Edmonton Oilers weren't allowed to get an illegal player last year for free. Oh, boy. But, Evander Kane's settlement, that happened. I, I mean, Mickey Mouse League. If, you, if, if, if by now you don't think that the NHL inputs influence when it wants to, I... I mean, I don't know what else to point to than this and a couple of the draft lotteries uh, when Chicago and Pittsburgh said, hey, uh, we're going to move our team if you don't give us the number one pick. And then they got the number one pick and it was a generational player. But we don't need to talk about that. Um, Ladies the big and gentlemen, tinfoil hats. Uh, I, I, I think it's beyond tinfoil. I think if you don't understand that big corporations that operate for money and revenue and all these big corporations aren't intach intentionally stacking the deck in their favor well and aren't corrupt in some sort of way you are you are very naive um, can, I, can i say one other thing i think i want I mean, to mention uh briefly what, that, um, well i just want to finish my point about the evander kane thing about how um they they so what happened was the sharks terminated the process 
before Kane signed with any team, he appealed saying that that was not a legal termination. The NHL decided we will resolve this in the offseason and allow him to sign with any team, knowing it would be the Edmonton Oilers at that time and their boy Connor McDavid, who, who by all accounts publicly asked for it and wanted Evander Kane and also publicly asked for Jake Furtanen and, wanted at Jake, and didn't mind Jake Furtanen. So say what he want about Connor McDavid, but he's not my generational talent. And um, anyway, the Oilers then were able to sign somebody who – when they got to it in the offseason, was found to have been terminated. The contract was terminated improperly. It was not done through the right channels, meaning he should have never been a free agent last year. And if the Edmonton Oilers wanted him, they should have had to trade something to the San Jose Sharks to get him. And he should have been had that cap hit, which they couldn't have, aff- which they couldn't afford, by the way. And they don't have to honor any more in the future, which they would have, by the way. So they get out really well. Um, and then the San Jose Sharks penalty is a, is cap space calculated to not impact them by applying to last year based off of the amount that they could afford without having any penalties this year. So basically what happened was the NHL knew it was an illegal termination, so they kept it off to the season. Then they could just work out some under-the-table, make-whole agreement where everybody, San Jose, Kane, and the Oilers felt like, oh, nothing bad happened and we all made out well. And then the, now they're going to sweep it under the rug. And this is going to have no, – and this is going to – and again, Evander Kane um, is going to escape any culpability – for accusations that are much, much, much worse than this. But remember, the NHL, you know, will always give time in court for a contract dispute, but never, never for anything uh, more important. Yep. You are absolutely right. I think this podcast is over two hours long, so we may want to hold off going further. I'm done. That was it. That was it. You dropped the mic at the end of it. I mean, I just want to say how how much of a Mickey Mouse thing, and, and... while, while, yes, the Edmonton Oilers completely benefit from it, I don't know if they maliciously did anything. I think the NHL and the Sharks maliciously um, circumvented the CBA. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, congratulations to any of you who are still listening to this show. It's incredible. Uh, we will have a lot more coming. It's the start of the season. We've got so much to be excited about. Thank you very much for listening. If you are still here at the two-hour whatever the hell mark, God bless you for doing so. We might have to buy you a beer. Uh, no benefit. Good night and good talk to you.